2230-2235. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds, and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear, and brought Paul down and set him before them. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to your law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Okay. So, uh, the next day, he's still trying to figure out what's going on. And so he, he gets the council, the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin together, and brings Paul and sits him before him. And, you know, we're going to have a hearing. We're going to try to, you know, get to the bottom of this, find out the facts. And uh, that doesn't work real well, but it sounds like a good idea. Uh, so, Paul, looking at the council, says what in verse 1? Now, what did he mean by that? What was his real emphasis when he said that? He's always done what he thought was right. Why does he say that? He's done some completely different things. Not just that. What's, what point is he trying to emphasize with that? What, what phase of his life is he particularly thinking about? Not that it, I mean, this is true of all of his life, but what phase of his life is he particularly trying to emphasize that he's lived with a good conscience in? I think probably the part where he killed people as a Jew. You're not thinking about where he's at and what he's saying. That's what we often use this for. And I'm not saying they didn't have a good conscience then, but that's not really what his point is here. So he's telling these Jews that he preached to the Gentiles with a good conscience. That's exactly right. You know, what I'm doing, I am not rebelling. I'm not trying to do wrong. I'm doing this with a good conscience. We think, oh, he had a good conscience when he was persecuting Christians. Well, yeah, but he didn't need to tell them that. You know, what, what's driving them? He's saying, hey, what I've been doing and going to the Gentiles and all the things you're accusing me of, I'm doing in a perfectly good conscience. I don't feel any guilt. I don't feel any shame. And that's what led Ananias the high priest to order what? Yeah, order the people to hit him in the mouth. You know, he said some outrageous statement like he can, he can preach to Gentiles with a clear conscience. You know, that, that is just considered to be blasphemy. You know, and so he says, strike him in the mouth. Uh, do you, what do you think about that? Is that a little weird? Beat the guy because he claims to be innocent? No. Sounds like the commander. <laughs> you're right. You get to the bottom of it. Yeah, yeah. We don't care if you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they did. And that, so he did. I mean, Paul was struck on the mouth. Well, then verse 3, this is the uh, $64,000 question here. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. 
do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? Maybe we ought to start with the whitewashed wall. Say that three times fast. You know, why does he call him a whitewashed wall? Pretty exterior. That's about it. Yes. What's whitewashed? Like paint. Yeah, it's like a, almost a bleach paint. Yeah, yeah, kind of a watered-down paint. Doesn't last long. You know, well, what does whitewash do for something? Makes it look pretty. Makes it look pretty. For a while. Now, let's say you got a wall that's kind of starting to crumble. It's got all those cracked lines all the way through it. You put a coat of whitewash on it, how's it going to look? You're not going to see those crack lines. Is the whitewash really going to firm up that wall and help it be more sturdy? No. <laughs> not even, uh, you know, oil-based paint would do much for that. And so he's a whitewashed wall in the sense he's about to crumble. He's got cracked lines all the way through him, but he looks pretty. You know, he, he's got this image of being white and pure and righteous when he's not. Now, that symbolism of the whitewashed wall goes back to where? Jesus with the Pharisees. That too, Jesus with the Pharisees, they had whitewashed tombs. But it goes back to what? Anybody remember? Was it Amos? Nope. Ezekiel 13. God uses the very same figure back in Ezekiel 13... Um, when he says in verse 10, it's definitely because they've misled my people by saying peace when there is no peace. When anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash. So tell those who plaster it over with whitewash that it will fall, and so forth and so on. He's talking about the false prophets who were telling people everything was going to be okay. And making people feel good he said, all you're doing is whitewashing a crumbling wall. It's not going to make it stand any better. It just makes it look better and make people feel like it's going to stand. So he's a whitewashed wall in the sense that he looks good. He's kept up a good image. But inside he's corrupt and wicked and, and ungodly. He says, do you sit to try me according to the law? And in violation of the law, order me to be struck. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense for a judge who's supposed to be enforcing the law to break the law as he does it. Well, what do they say to Paul, the bystanders? Do you revile God's high priest? Yeah, do you revile God? This is a high priest. This is Ananias. Yes. You know, let's talk that way to God's high priest. And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Now see, that's the verse that gives us a problem. You know, what's he saying there? Well, think about it this way. Is it possible that Paul lost his temper and apologized? You know, he got carried away with himself. And he said something in anger, rashly, that he should not have said. You know, and you could say, well, Paul wasn't perfect, was he? He wasn't like Jesus, where he never sinned. And at least he's a good example because he quickly acknowledged his wrong. And he's willing to admit his mistake. So he's a good example of somebody when they're corrected, they change. However, is there anything that bothers you about that? 
Did he lie? Did he lie? They didn't know that he was my priest. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe. You, what did you suppose it possibly didn't know? Well, he would be giving a different reason from why he actually said that. He said it because he was, if that was true, he said it because he was angry, not because he didn't realize it was high priest. Well, That's what I'm saying if if that okay. was his reason for losing losing his temper, then that was not the excuse that he gave. Well, but they're saying to revile God's high priest. Maybe he could have reviled somebody else, but not the high priest. Oh, I didn't. I'm sorry, I didn't realize he was high priest. But surely he knows he's the high priest. You'd think they'd know who the high priest was. I don't know that it was necessarily reviling when they say it was reviling. That's a good point. But why does Paul say, I was not aware, brethren, he's high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. What do you mean by that? Like, he's saying he's not according to God's standards. Yeah, exactly. Do you remember the promises that Jesus made to the disciples? about what was going to happen when they stood trial. Like in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 19, when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say, for it's not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And the same thing's found in Mark 13 and 11. God said when you're before the authorities, I'll speak in you. Don't you, you don't have to worry about what to say. I'll speak in, in, in you. If those promises are true, it's hard for me to see how we can say Paul actually didn't say the right thing in this situation. And if, if we are to say that Paul was saying, I'm sorry, I didn't know he was the high priest. I have this problem. What he says in verse 3 seems to indicate that he knows him. How else would he know he was a whitewashed wall? You know, just because somebody says, hit him, and they hit you, if you don't know anything about him, you don't know if they're a whitewashed wall. Maybe they confused you with somebody else. I don't know. Uh, so he's showing that he knows Ananias' character. So I think the better thing is what we said. He's speaking this in irony. He says, oh, I couldn't tell. Sure didn't look like, wow, I wouldn't have known he was God's high priest. I think he's being highly ironic. Oh, I was not aware. You know, would God's high priest order somebody just to be hit because they declared their innocence? And so I think he was, I think he was intentionally, you know, being ironic. They know what he made. Oh, I, oh, I didn't know. I couldn't tell. Yeah, because he doesn't act like it. That's my take. What do you think through verse 5? Ready? Okay on that? The fewer people I have, the more I can get by with things. So. <laughs> I'll run as many of these things through it since we can get Alright. We also said in 3, you, you sit to try me. Yes. So he, he knew he was the him one. as the one in charge of the trial. Good point. Yeah, he does. How did he know that he was going to be the one trying him as opposed to him being, you know, a bystander or a soldier or something like that? You know, he clearly knows who he is. I, you know, think about Paul. I mean, it hadn't been that many years. 
I mean, they may have sat at Gamaliel's feet together for all I know. I mean, he should have known pretty much everybody in the Jewish hierarchy a few years later, especially the high priest. Surely the high priest didn't just come along in the last couple of years. And they would have also had an extra uh, contempt for Paul. Wouldn't they? At this point. Yeah, because he kind of like sold them out, mm-hmm. turned against them. So you can see why, <laughs> you know, Paul says this, and hit him. Hit him in the mouth. It's much easier to tell to, to, to order him to be hit than to answer what he's saying. You know, I mean, what happens when two people are in a fight, <coughs> in an argument, and, and, and one starts hitting the other one? What do you know? He's wrong. Losing. Rad arguments have to resort to violence. <laughs> That's exactly where they were. They couldn't answer what he was saying, so we'll beat him up instead. Alright, other comments or questions through, uh, through verse 5. Alright, how about uh, 6 through 11? But perceiving that one group was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And there occurred a great uproar, and some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them, and ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force, and bring him into the bar- bring him into the barracks. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. So, finally, it gets down to time for Paul to address the group. And how does he begin? Does he say he's a Pharisee? I'm a Pharisee! I'm a son of a Pharisee! I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. Now, what does all that mean? When he says I'm a Pharisee, what was he trying to say by that? or angels or spirits. So Paul, by saying this, you know, gets them all riled up. I mean, it's different up here. But down where I come from, you know, if if you were in, in a big assembly and you said, hey, I'm a UL Cardinal. 
you know, I'm a son of a UNL Cardinal, and I'm on trial for the hope of the Cardinal Spirit. And the UK fan, you know, Cardinals would, hey, we he's our fan. The UK fans would all get mad and fight him. You know, that's kind of the idea. He's dividing them. Because really, the Pharisees believe in the resurrection. That is what he's on trial for. So he's right. But what do they end up doing, the idiots? They end up defending him. <laughs> it works. What a good night. You know, they're all riled up about Paul, and he just says that, and they all start fighting each other, and the Pharisees start defending him. Yeah, that is just, you know, wow. They are so shallow. You know, the Pharisees are, are like, uh, oh, we don't find anything wrong with him. Maybe an angel of spirit did appear to him. Did speak to him. Wow. Just about to think that we agree with him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. If, if people are so emotionally driven, and it was so easy to turn them back to fighting each other again, Paul's pretty sharp about this, it looks to me like. And the poor commander! What's he have to do? I do. Yeah! Rescue Paul again. Yeah! You know, well, he's strike three. He didn't find out anything with the confusion when he arrested him. Didn't find anything out when Paul, or maybe, when Paul spoke to the crowd. Didn't find anything out by scourging him, because he found out he couldn't. Now he hadn't found anything out when he takes him to the council and tries to get a hearing. He's obviously really a rascal, because they all get out, riled up about him, but he doesn't know anything about what all Paul has done. Why is everything setting the whole multitude off? Why doesn't he just ask Paul? Well, I don't know. I mean, can you imagine that? You arrest some guy and say, so, how come they're beating you? <laughs> you know, what'd you do wrong? It's, it, you don't normally expect the, yeah. you know, criminal to say, uh, you know, like it's like saying, why are you, we arresting you? Oh, I just robbed this bank down the street. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Although some of them do about stupid enough things to do that. <laughs> But I guess I would think he would ask just like one person who knew what was going on. Instead of like making it this huge deal and calling all these assemblies that just get, I don't know. But it's not such a, it's not so stupid. I mean, what is he trying to do? I mean, logically, when he arrests him, he's listening to see what they're saying. But it's a bad look. So it makes no sense. Paul wants to address the crowd from the steps. Well, there's no particular reason for him not to let them. Maybe he'll find out something. Well, that is, he erupts. And so, like, oh, well, just be the truth out of it. You know, I mean, you wouldn't expect Paul to confess without some torture. And then you have that all deal with the Roman citizens. So, well, get the Jewish authorities together and have kind of a hearing, and I'll find out what they have to say. So I don't think this is so ridiculous. You know, he's going through some kind of expected channels. Just nothing's working. I just find this, you know, fascinating... I mean, when you're with the Lord, you're just so much more level-headed. You know, these guys are flighty. You know, they're they're ready to pounce on each other at a moment's notice and let their let their you know prey escape. And it would have worked 
it would have worked with Jesus almost. Jesus would have gotten away if he hadn't incriminated himself. Yeah, yeah, good point. So in verse 11, God gives encouragement to Paul. He says, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. That's going to really be an encouragement to Paul, even at other critical times during all of this, because God said, you're going to go to Rome. There are going to be some times it doesn't look like he's going to get there. It doesn't look like he's going to live to get there. But God says he will. That's a real great encouragement. Comments and questions. <clears throat> I don't know why, but then one, if I'm Paul, I'm be dying laughing. Uh, I mean, I'd be laughing so hard. That word, again, look at that word. <laughs> wow. But another thing is, I don't know why, but I got this like picture of, of, of these Jews being so easily distracted. I don't know, maybe I've been around my sister too long, but she watches that movie up all the time. She says, a squirrel goes by, the dog goes, squirrel! And he gets so distracted with what else is going on. He's so stupid, I just could totally get distracted from what the truth is. <laughs> Uh, my family. <laughs> yeah, it would be sort of like, you know, you're trying to teach, you know, I don't know, I think it'd be interesting to try to teach a mainline Pentecostal and a oneness Pentecostal at the same time, all claiming the same gifts and all that, to I believe in, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are three who are one, and I'm on trial for that. The one is, no, Jesus only. And they don't fight each other. You know, and sometimes we have to show them. Sometimes we have to show their differences with each other. Um, so, I mean, you know, the, the, the side of error usually sooner or later self-destructs. You know, is there really love on Satan's side? Is there loyalty? Is there honor and integrity? You know, on his side, it's all a mess. So it's relatively easy to get them fighting each other. All right, anything else through verse 11? Commander let 
tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Hi, very interesting. Some of the Jews think that the wheels of justice are moving too slowly, and they're ready to take matters into their own hands. So about 40 of them do what? They that they won't eat or drink till Paul's killed. Till they kill Paul. Wow. That's quite something. When you take an oath like this, who do you swear by? The Lord. The Lord. Can you imagine taking an oath before God? That you won't eat or drink anything until you kill Paul, the apostle of God? That's, that's, wow, that's amazing. And, um, well, what do you think about that oath? They must have been pretty hungry. Wonder which one of them broke it first. <laughs> you know, wow. Do things just so rashly and ridiculously, I bet you anything not a single one of these guys starved to death. No. They made the oath. We're gonna kill him. And so what's their what's their idea of how to do this? Call a little like meeting to where Paul <coughs> and like uh, the commander from the other and there I guess they would like stone him or something. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, you know, they go to the Jewish council and say, look, uh, you know, pretend like you're going to examine the case more thoroughly and have him brought, and we're going to ambush him on the way and kill him. And the council goes along with it.